podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. On Wednesday, the 10th of March, we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield, as you know, is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. It allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, or if you're from the UK, but currently outside the UK, or you have to travel on business, Brexit will stop you using your Now TV but a, v- a VPN will allow you to reset your location to the UK and therefore access your Now TV. It will also keep your data safe online, so any ne'er-do-wells who are trying to steal your data will have no luck. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. They have both hardware and software packages, so you can pick which suits you best. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide, homeofhopcroft.co.uk, for any giftware or homeware needs. Right, folks, uh, two Champions League games last night. Loads of drama in both. Uh, We'll start with Juventus 3, Porto 2, which left an aggregate score of 4-4, which sent Porto through on away goals and sent Juventus out. The shock of the round, without question, so far anyway. Juventus brought in Cristiano Ronaldo to win Champions League titles. No other reason. They broke the Italian transfer record. They'd already broken it to bring in Higuain. That move was more motivated with killing their biggest competitor. They took Napoli's number one guy, brought him in, it didn't really improve them. Higuain was okay for them, but didn't really work out all that well. If you think of it in monetary terms, it was a bit of a disaster because they ended up letting him go for nothing to uh, to join Miami FC, or Inter-Miami, sorry, not Miami FC. Um, he spent a season on loan at Milan and half a season on loan at Chelsea in the four years that he was at Juventus. Now, he did score goals. He will always score goals. He scored 32 in 55 the first year, 23 in 50 the second year, and then he scored 11 in 44 the final year. But they were winning league titles before him. He didn't really have a massive impact on any real improvement of note. They'd been to a Champions League final without him. They got to one with him. As great a player as he was, it wasn't the right move for club or team. He mutually terminated his contract with a year left. They paid 90 million euro to bring him in, gave him an enormous salary, and got nothing back for him except a couple of loan fees that won't have amounted to a fraction of what they paid. Then they brought in Cristiano. And by Ronaldo's own admission, he would rather just play in the Champions League. He would rather not play league football at all. However, when you pay 100 million plus and you're paying the guy in the region of about 80 million euro uh, a year, in between wages, bonuses, and image rights, you kind of need him to play in the league. Again, they continued to win league titles, but they've been winning them before he got there. This season, they likely won't win the league title. They're 10 points or so behind into Milan. And in truth, they don't look like much of a team at all. He was brought to win the Champions League. They've gone out to Ajax, Lyon, and Porto in the last three years. Those are three clubs that the Juventus chairman deemed not worthy of being in any potential European Super League. He didn't deem them glamorous enough 
well, they were glamorous enough to knock your team out <laughs> in three successive years. Um, Juventus didn't look like a team last night. They looked like a collection of individuals. And if you think back, Allegri won five league titles, got to two Champions League finals, and they fired him because he hadn't won a Champions League and they wanted to go in a different direction. Now, that direction was Pep Guardiola, but they were going to have to wait for him. They brought in Sarri, fresh off his spell at Chelsea. He won a title, and he got fired because he didn't win the Champions League. They'd appointed Pirlo as the youth team manager, and a couple of weeks later, he was promoted to the first team manager position, despite having zero managerial experience. They spent money in the summer. It's not like they didn't. They always do. One thing Juventus do is back managers. And this past summer, they brought in Artur. That deal was done before Pirlo got in, but it was Pjanic plus cash for Artur. They bring in Weston McKenney from Schalke on loan with an option to buy. They've now bought, bought him out. They had Kulisevsky, who they'd bought in the January. He'd been on loan at Parma. They brought him in. They brought in Maratha, uh, a big loan fee with an option to buy. I assume they will not be taking up that option. They brought Ronaldo Mandragora, who they'd owned before. They bought him back from Udinese and then loaned him out to Torino. And then they made their big signing, Federico Chiesa. Now, it's a two-year loan with an obligation to buy. It was done just for accounting purposes, but, you know, it's a, it's a purchase. and. He's great. But I don't think Pirlo knows how to use him. If you look at Juventus this year, every every game they look like a different team. They don't have any identity. Pirlo doesn't seem to have any established tactics, any defined idea of how he wants the team to play. He is very much learning on the job, figuring out what he wants to do. He doesn't seem to know what his best 11 is. He makes bizarre uh, player selections. I mean, how Aaron Ramsey has played that much this season, despite not playing well all season, is beyond me. Um, Juventus's team should largely pick itself. But Ronaldo complicates a lot of things because many of Juventus's best players play better without him in the team. I think it's the same issue with Portugal. Juventus should be so much more than they are. They should be beating Porto comfortably. Last night, they start with Matthias Delict, who's comfortably the best centre-back, sitting on the bench. Kulusevski sitting on the bench. Benucci, who's a couple of years past his best and showing, you know, signs of a lot of wear and tear. He starts. Ramsey starts on the right wing. They've got bad full-backs. Juan Cadrado was a good winger. He's not a fullback. Yes, he put in a lot of good crosses last night. He put in 32 total crosses in the game. That was their game plan. Give it to him and swing in crosses. You've got Ronaldo and Morata up front. Ronaldo literally offered nothing in both legs. Just stood around, pouted, gesticulated, shouted at people, and looked miserable. Morata, I don't know if anyone's ever explained to him what offside is. If I was Juventus, I would be fining him every time he gets caught offside because it's the only way he's going to learn. I think he had 11 goals disallowed one season for offside. 11. How does that happen? How many times do you have to be offside in a season to have 11 goals disallowed for offside? You must be talking 100 different opportunities where you're deemed as offside. Um. The Ronaldo thing hasn't worked for Juve. They've won titles they would have won without him. They haven't won the Champions League. They've paid him an absolute fortune. They've mortgaged their future on him, and it just hasn't worked. They need to cut bait this summer. They probably should have done it last summer and given Pirlo a clean slate. Because the thing is, when you've got him in the team, the manager is obligated to obviously play him and then play through him. Other players feel obliged to pass up good chances for themselves to give the ball to him because otherwise he'll have a tantrum. He's no question, like, there's no question he's a great player. He's not 
the greatest player ever. He's not even in that conversation for me. He's in the conversation as greatest goal scorer ever, without question. But his all-round play for years now has been largely poor. Largely poor. And last night it was uh, an abomination. The Juventus have a massive decision to make over him. They have a big decision to make over Pirlo because they sacked the last two managers who did much better than him. And I don't know that they can continue with him. I mean, Allegri's still sitting at home. Maybe he'd be willing to give them another chance. Not that they'd give him another chance. He would have to give them another chance because of how they disrespected him. If you win five league titles and get to two Champions League finals in five years, you're, you're a pretty great manager. I know he took over a successful team, but he rebuilt it. And he just carried on winning regardless. They've got big decisions to make. For Porto, I mean, what, what a stunning victory. They had a man sent off after 54 minutes. They played 35, 36 minutes of the, the 90 plus stoppage time with 10 men and then all of extra time with 10 men. Sergio Oliveira had put them 1-0 up on 19 with a penalty. Federico Chiesa scored twice, 49 and 63, to take it to extra time. Oliveira scored a wonderful free kick that embarrassed Ronaldo um, on 115. Adrian Rabio goes down the other end of the field. He scores to make it 3-2 to Juventus, but it wasn't enough. And Juventus didn't deserve to go through over the two legs. They just didn't. Porto worked so hard for that win. And some of their players were just brilliant. I thought Pepe put in the best performance we've seen from him in probably a decade. Uh, Marquisen, the keeper, he looked really, really good. I was very, very impressed with him. And I thought the wingers, Corona and Otavio, I thought they just never, ever stopped working. Tracking those fullbacks, helping their own fullbacks, getting forward when they had the opportunities. Supporting Morega, who ran and ran and ran and ran until he could run no more and had to be taken off. It's it's a great victory for for Porto, and it's a deserved victory. And for Juventus, big big questions, big big decisions to be made this summer. I'm sure there's a club in Manchester who wear red, who would gladly have Ronaldo. So Juventus need to figure out how much money they can swindle out of them. Because they have to make something back. I mean, they blew up their wage structure. They had such a diligent wage structure. They were one of the best-run clubs in the world. Even when they blew that money on Higuain, they were still brilliantly run. But that Ronaldo deal has been a disaster. Um, Second game, then, was Dortmund 2, Sevilla 2. That put Dortmund through 5-4 on aggregate. They had to hang on. They were clinging on at the end. They went 2-0 up. Erling Haaland, of course, was was deemed fit, scored twice. Lovely bit of needle with the goalkeeper. Absolutely beautiful stuff. You, ha- you love to see strikers who just have that real arrogance about them. Whoever signs him whenever he leaves Dortmund is, is going to get guaranteed 35, 40 goals a season across all competitions. He's just unstoppable. Credit to Sevilla, though. They never gave up. They kept fighting. Uh, and Nesri... Scored twice for them, once in the 68 minute with a penalty. And then in the sixth minute of stoppage time, to give them a little bit of life, but wasn't to be uh, Dortmund go through. It's great for Dortmund, who are having a disappointing season domestically that they've gone through here. Um, Jude uh, Bellingham was brilliant in midfield. I thought Emre Chan had a good game at centre-back. But Haaland is the obvious star of the show. Whoever they draw in the next round is is getting terrorized by that man. I really want it to be Real Madrid. I really want to see him absolutely end Sergio Ramos. I think that would be magnificent stuff. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for Dortmund versus Real. I think Real will probably go through, but he will absolutely annihilate Sergio Ramos. Um, tonight we have two games. PSG play Barcelona. In Paris, PSG obviously 4-1 up from the first leg. Name.
but it doesn't look like it matters. Mbappe is just on a different level altogether. Uh, I think it's Neymar's sister's birthday. Is that? I think it's Neymar's sister's birthday. I think he's he's out with an injury, but I do think it's his sister's birthday. Um, yeah, his sister's birthday is tomorrow. Yeah, she is twenty five years of age tomorrow. Fair play to her. Uh, happy birthday! Don't feel too special though. Everybody has a birthday, so you know that's just what it is. Uh, but yeah, Neymar, Neymar's. No doubt he'll be fit on Friday. Um, Liverpool play RB Leipzig. That game has been held in Budapest. Liverpool 2-0 up from the first leg, which was also played in that same stadium. Uh, part of me wants Liverpool to just go and, and go all out attack and just try and have fun. But obviously 2-0 up, they're probably going to be a bit more conservative and protect the lead. Whether they're good enough defensively to do that, I don't. I don't think so. Um, now, with Fabinho back, and if Quebec is back, then maybe. But if it's not Phillips and Reese Williams, like it was the weekend, it, no chance. Um, Leipzig are going to be confident. They've won six in a row in the Bundesliga. Their only defeat, I think, in the last eight or nine games is, was to Liverpool. And, I mean, they gifted that that defeat to Liverpool, like that win to Liverpool. They gifted Liverpool two goals with shocking defensive errors. So... You know, they they will believe that they can overcome this. And I I really don't want Liverpool to have to play Dortmund in the next round. So, you know, imagine what Haaland would do to Nat Phillips. Just imagine what he would do to Reese Williams or Jordan Henderson. Henderson comes back from his abductor injury, slots in at centre-back. Haaland rinses him in the second minute. He'd be down on the ground looking to go off again within seconds. He just would. Anybody would. But he'd be he'd be calling for the surge. And I don't think you fixed this properly. Get me out of here. Um, yeah, two good games tonight. The Liverpool one is obviously the more interesting one from a Premier League point of view. The PSG Barca one, because it's likely the last time we see Messi in a Barca jersey in the Champions League. Um, it could be a little bit historic, but you never know. You never know. Uh, there is a Premier League game tonight as well. Manchester City play Southampton at 6pm at the Etihad. City obviously top of the league. Had been in incredible form. Lost United at the weekend. Southampton had been in terrible form. Beat Sheffield United at the weekend. But you don't really expect anything other than a, a comfortable Manchester City win here. City's only injury is Nathan Aki. But for Southampton, they've got some problems. Theo Walcott's still out. Now Danny Ings ruled out. Ariel Romeo probably out for the season. Will Smallbone, um, he's out probably till next season. And Michael Obafemi uh, also probably out for the season. So, look, they don't have a lot of depth at Southampton, but they do have good players. Kyle Walker-Peters is fit again, which means that Bednarak goes back into the centre defence. And Walker-Peters has been one of the better right-backs in the league this season. Um, Diallo slots into midfield for Romeo. But the loss of Ings up front, it it does take away their their only real natural goal scorer. Che Adams obviously scored a great goal at the weekend. But he's, I think in the Premier League, he's probably a 10 to 12, maybe even 10 to 14 goal-a-season striker, as opposed to the 20-goal-a-season striker you get with Danny Ings. But it should be a good game. I mean, Southampton always play decent football. They don't come and park the bus. They will be aggressive in how they play. And City looked a little bit vulnerable against Wolves and a little bit vulnerable against West Ham before they lost to United. When teams got in their face, they didn't really seem to enjoy it all that much. They have so much talent that they should overcome pretty much anything. But you just don't know. If Southampton could get an early goal, rattle them a little bit, we'll see. City have the league pretty much done and dusted. 11 points clear with 10 games to go. It would take an incredible collapse. It would be the biggest collapse maybe in Premier League history. I think United in the, the year of the Aguero goal, I think United were like, I want to say eight points clear with six games to go or seven points. 
seven points clear with six games to go. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I think City have the title done. Um, mentioning Jay Adams there, Gareth Crooks picked him in his team of the week. Uh, Crooks this week went for Emmy Martinez in goal. Fair. You won't get many arguments on that one. Uh, made a couple of good saves. He went for Victor, Victor Lindelof at right back, which was an odd one to me, given he doesn't play right back. Now, he had a good game against City, but I don't think he is worthy of team of the week and certainly not out of position. Uh, I think Ola Aina was brilliant. Now, he played left back, but then he moved to right centre back. I would rather have picked him. If you're going to pick someone out of position, I would have picked him over Lindelof. Um, Craig Dawson in the team largely because he scored a goal. Uh, Joachim Anderson was brilliant against Liverpool. There can be no question he deserves to be there. Luke Shaw, for sure. Absolutely agree with that one. James Ward-Prowse. No. Not not in team of the week. Not, not based on that performance against Sheffield United. Scored a penalty, but his overall performance wasn't outstanding. Um, Yuri Thielemans, yeah, he was really good for Leicester at the weekend. Mario Lamina was really good against Liverpool and won them the game. So I think I think that's absolutely fair to have him in the team. But that midfield, uh, James Ward-Prowse, just to me, he wouldn't be the one. I think if you're looking for a midfielder who's deserving of it. I think Fred or McTominay have to be the one. Either of them. They were both brilliant against against City at the weekend. They got through so much work. Really, really just clamped down on City. Didn't allow them a lot of freedom. Didn't allow them time on the ball. I'd probably go Fred because I thought he offered a little, a little bit more on the attacking side. But McTominay was really good as well. And again, up front, he's gone for Che Adams. Again, he scored a great goal, but I don't think he was in the team of the week. Harry Kane, absolutely. Two goals, two assists. Gareth Bale, it was the best performance that we've seen from Gareth Bale, certainly for Spurs and likely in a couple of years. So I don't really have a problem with that. But Adam Ola Luckman should have been in this team. Adam Ola Luckman was incredible against Liverpool. He absolutely tortured them, tore Nico Williams apart, the poor kid. Yeah, Luckman, Fred, ah, Lindelof is fine, whatever. But yeah, Luckman and Fred should have, should have been in that team. So as usual, Garth Crooks has, has not really gotten things right because, you know, he's Garth Crooks. He doesn't get much right. Um, on the topic of teams, I was asked earlier on if I would do a what could have been Premier League eleven. Uh, this is from at Tony MA91. Um, yeah, what could have been Premier League 11? So let me start by saying this is quite a bit of Liverpool bias in this because obviously that's where my attention has been for the entirety of the Premier League run. But I do have players from other teams, of course. Um, the first one's going to be controversial and a little bit strange, but. I went in goal with Peter Cech. Now, Peter Cech unquestionably is one of the best goalkeepers the Premier League has seen. But I think he's still a what could have been. You remember he arrived at Chelsea from Stad Ren, was incredible for two years. And then he had the head injury. He fractured his skull. Uh, Stephen Hunt's knee caught him in the head. And he was out for months. I don't think he was ever the same after that. He was still very, very good. But I don't think he became the goalkeeper he should have become. I think Peter Cech, the two seasons we saw at him, 04, 05 and 05, 06... I think those two seasons are the best seasons we've seen by a Premier League goalkeeper. 
David De Gea has an argument the Van Hal years that he was better. He was playing behind a bad team and keeping them in the top four mix when they would have been mid-table without him. And we saw what happened when De Gea fell off. They became a very average team. But Peter Cech, for me, was sensational. And that was De Gea in his prime. This was Peter Cech at the age of 22 to 24. I think if he doesn't get hurt, if he doesn't fracture his skull at that point, I genuinely feel he goes on to rival Buffon as the best goalkeeper of the era. And I don't think there's anyone else even in that conversation. 6-5, incredibly athletic, very quick off his line, good with his feet, aggressive, vocal, dominant in the air. Peter Cech had absolutely everything until he got hurt. And then he became a little bit hesitant. And he was never at the same level. He still went on to have a great career, no question. He was brilliant for Chelsea up until he was replaced by Thibaut Courtois. But he wasn't at the same level as he had been in those first two years. He obviously was good for Arsenal as well. And again, I'm not taking anything away from him. I think he did have a brilliant career. He's one of the best goalkeepers the Premier League saw. Four league titles, four FA Cups, three league cups, a Champions League, a Europa League. Brilliant. Won an FA Cup with Arsenal as well. But that keeper that we saw in those first two years was just different. He was just different. There was something really, really special about him. I think he becomes an all-time great and unquestionably the best Premier League goalkeeper ever without that skull fracture. Moving on to right back. Liverpool bias takes hold. Um, Marcus Babel. Liverpool signed him from um, Bayern Munich on a Bosman. This, this, by the way, this is the best Bosman signing Liverpool have ever made. Because this was a legitimately world-class player in his prime joining Liverpool. He was 28 years of age. He was brilliant for Germany. He'd been part of that incredible team that won the um, won the Euro 96. He came into the team for Jurgen Koller, played on the right of the back three. Uh, him on the right, Helmer on the left, and, and Zammer then in the middle as that sweeper. He slotted in at right back for Liverpool, and they won a cup treble, and he was the best player in that back four. Him, Honcho, Hippia, Carragher as a back four. Hippia wasn't yet the player he would become. He was still very, very good, but Babel was on a different level. Babel was undeniably world-class at that point. And then he got Gillen Barron syndrome. And he ended up in a wheelchair for a while. It was quite terrifying. He was so good. And he was never the same after the injury. He would be the one for me at right back. I just, he was arguably the best, the second best right back in the world at that point behind Zanetti. Turam had moved into the middle by then. Um, well, he was playing sort of right of a back three. But yeah, Marcus Babel at right back. Um, at left back, again, I've gone for a Liverpool player. Again, he's a player that I still think had a very good career. Now, he didn't play left back. I'm just picking him there because I couldn't really think of a left back. And he was this guy's a left footed centre back. Uh, Daniel Agger. Daniel Agger to me was the most talented centre back I'd seen play for Liverpool until Van Dyke arrived. Um, a better player than Jamie Carragher, a better footballer than Sammy Hippia. Not as good a defender as Hippia. Every bit as good a defender as Carragher. Every bit as good, but much better on the ball. Um, Daniel Agger was sensational. He had no weak point in his game. He was the best centre-back in the league when it came to dealing with Didier Drogba. Their battles against each other. After Carragher got rinsed by Drogba, Agger started to mark him and rarely had any trouble with him. Carragher claims the credit for that, but it was it was Daniel Agger who would mark him on a game-to-game basis. Um, yeah, Daniel Agger at left-back. I just 
I do wonder what could have been. Liverpool bought him at 22. And he just could never really stay fit. And the seasons that he did stay fit, the defensive record tended to be quite good. Because he was he was that good, he made everybody better. When he got hurt, things fell apart. If you look at the season that Kenny Dalglish won the League Cup, which was 11-12, go and look at that season. Liverpool were really, really good up until that League Cup final. They were on target for top four finish, as far as I can remember. Or at least a, a Europa League uh, finish. Agger gets hurt in the League Cup final and Liverpool fall apart. From that day until the end of the season, they played relegation football. Their form was atrocious. It was put down to Lucas Leiva, who'd gotten hurt three months beforehand and they'd been fine without him. When Agger got hurt, the team fell apart. Uh, Daniel Agger would be in my team always, um, but he's in this team at left-back. My centre-backs have gone for Ledley King, who I think is the most talented English defender that came through in that group with him, Terry, Ferdinand, Carragher, and Jonathan Woodgate. Ledley King, to me, was easily the most talented of the lot. And if, if not for injuries, Ledley King probably has 120, 130 England caps. Rio Ferdinand and John Terry would have many, many less but injuries just absolutely ruined him. He was sensational. But from 06 onwards, he was just ruined by injuries. 05, 06, I should say. 27 games, 27 games, 10, 29, 21, 9, 23. This guy should have been playing 45 to 50 games a season, but he was just ruined by injuries. Couldn't really train. Had to, you know, have painkilling injections regularly. Rio Ferdinand and John Terry owe so much of their legacy to him having those injuries. And next to him, I'm going to put Jonathan Woodgate, who I think is the second best of that group of centre-backs, or the second most talented. Broke through at Leeds. Obviously, then they had their financial issues. He'd been really good for Leeds. Um, him and Rio Ferdinand had formed a, a very, very good f partnership. But at Leeds, he started to have injuries. His his 99-2000 season, he was brilliant. He played almost every game, and he was brilliant. Then he missed 20 games in the league, sorry, 24 games in the league, 25 games in the league, and 20 games in the league in the next three seasons. He had all that off-the-field stuff as well that wasn't great, um, him and Lee Bowyer, but you know, goes to Newcastle, again, injury-plagued. Goes to Real Madrid, misses an entire season with injury. Comes into the team, gets sent off on his, on his debut and scores an own goal. Played nine games, 14 games across two seasons in all competitions. Goes to Middlesbrough. Like, he should have been going to Liverpool or United or Arsenal, or Chelsea, he goes to Middlesbrough because his stock has fallen that hard. Now, Middlesbrough still paid good money for him. They paid $7 million. And bear in mind, Rail had, played, had paid double that two years before. Woodgate was really, really good. Really, really good. And when he went to Spurs and he could stay fit, he was still really good. But he just couldn't stay fit. That was the, the biggest problem with him. He just could not stay fit. And it haunted him through his whole career. You know, he's got seasons in here where he plays three league games. He has two entire seasons in his career where he doesn't play a league game. Not including his final season where he kind of retired already. But Jonathan Woodgate was really, really good. And it's often overlooked how good him and Ledley King were because the other two got so much praise. But for me, I don't think there's any question. Those two were the better defenders. They just didn't have the hype. And they, did, they never got to play for the glamour clubs. Well, Woodgate played 14 games for Real Madrid. But if he hadn't gotten hurt, I think he would have been absolutely sensational. Um, in midfield, then, I've gone for Abu, da Abu Diaby. 
formerly of Arsenal, who had all the talents. Wenger adored him, but he just couldn't stay fit. Always injured. Never played more than 30 league games in a season. Only once played more than 24. And it wasn't that he wasn't first choice. He was an automatic pick for Wenger for years. He just couldn't stay fit. Um, next to him is the first one who wasn't injury-plagued. Cleberson. So, if you remember, Cleberson had broken into the Brazil team in 2002 and managed to work his way into the starting eleven and played a key role next to Gilberto Silva in the team that went on to win the World Cup. Those two as the basis for the attack to function. If you remember, Brazil played a 3-4-1-2 at that time. Um, they had a back three of Lucio Edmilson and Roque Jr. Then Cafu and Roberto Carlos bombing forward, basically playing as wingers, with Cleberson and Gilberto Silva sitting in midfield, holding everything together. And then Ronaldinho, Rivaldo and Ronaldo up front. He was a really, really good defensive midfielder. Manchester United bought him a year later and decided to try and make him a box-to-box midfielder. Wanted more from him than he could actually offer. He was a Roy Keane replacement. They thought he was going to be something different. And unfortunately, it just never worked out. For whatever reason, it just never worked out. He only played two seasons at United, played 20 games in the Premier League, 30 in all competitions. For me, he should have gone on to have a great career in the Premier League. I remember being very, very jealous when they'd signed him. It just didn't work at all. He went on to Besiktas, Flamengo. It ruined his career, really. Took all his confidence away. He was really good for Besiktas in his first year there. Then he fell off a cliff. Um, but yeah, I think I think he's one that should have been so much better. Uh, my third midfielder, also from Manchester United, I think Ravel Morrison. I think when we talk about talented English players this guy had more talent in his pinky than the majority of the current English midfielders have in their entire body he's just sensational at youth level he regularly outperformed Paul Pogba regularly it was a genuine debate as to who was who was a better player Morrison had so many off-field issues so many bad people around him, clinging to him. His career just has fallen by the wayside. He's currently a free agent. He's only 28 years of age. And he can't find a club. Went from United to West Ham. They loaned him to Birmingham, QPR, Cardiff. And he went to Lazio. They loaned him to QPR and Atlas in Mexico. He went to Ostersund in Norway. Was at Sheffield United for a little while, was at Middlesbrough on loan. Re- most recently played for Den Haag in the ne- Netherlands. Ravel Morrison, just so much talent. Now he's gone on to play two caps for Jamaica. And if he could sort himself out, he could be a huge, huge piece of what looks like an exciting Jamaica team that's being built at the moment. A lot of good players getting their Jamaican passports. Rio Ferdinand says Ravel Morrison is the most talented youth player he'd seen. Sam Allardyce said he's the biggest waste of talent he'd ever worked with. Now, I know they're not you know, great sources of information, but everybody who ever worked with Ravel Morrison at, when he was a kid said, this kid is just sensational. Ferguson went on and on about him, how good he was going to be. And unfortunately, off-field stuff just ruined his career. Put him off track. He could never focus properly. He did a really good, um, really good podcast recently with Rio Ferdinand. Um, it's well worth it. Just YouTube Rio Ferdinand Ravel Morrison. 
it, it's quite tough to listen to, you know, but it's it tells the story of, of this incredibly talented player who never, never got, I don't want to say never got the opportunity. He got lots of opportunities, but he never seemed to have a manager who really, really put faith in him. And I think that's what he's always needed. He always, he needed Alex Ferguson. And unfortunately for him, when he was coming through, Ferguson was coming to the end of his tenure. If he'd gotten, if he'd come through five years beforehand, I think Ferguson would have just guided him to a great career. Because Ferguson would have pushed away all the people that were dragging him down and would have guided him properly. He just got Ferguson at the wrong time, I think. Um, up front then, I've gone for three. Again, heavily Liverpool-influenced. Daniel Sturridge. I think he's the most talented English striker of this generation. Naturally gifted. Could do everything. Brilliant dribbler. Great passer. Incredible finisher. Good in the air. Didn't need any backlift. Could get a shot away from anywhere. Ball absolutely flew off his foot. Would generate incredible power with no backlift. Um, if not for injuries, I think Daniel Sturridge is is widely regarded as one of the greatest Premier League strikers ever. But injuries spoiled his career. And unfortunately, he's now 31 and finds himself without a club. But yeah, Daniel Sturridge. Like the one season where he was played as a nine consistently and could stay fit was 13-14 and he tore the league apart with Suarez. From the minute he arrived to Liverpool until the end of that 13-14 season, he was just sensational. 31 goals in 43 games. 35 and 49 in all competitions. He was just different. And then he broke down. He broke down 14-15 season. He played 12 games in the league. Then Klopp arrived the next season and he was he was just always hurt. But when he played, he would score goals. His goals to the minute played across his career is actually really, really good. Um... The season at Chelsea, before he joined Liverpool, he scored 11 goals in 30 games, largely playing on the right of a front three, and he was brilliant. But, you know, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. Um, I would love to have seen him play at his best, uninjured for his entire career, because he would have been sensational. Um, Michael Owen. Michael Owen, when he broke through at Liverpool, was the biggest prospect in world football, I think. I don't think there was anybody else at that point. And for years, he was sensational. He obviously had some bad injury problems at Liverpool. Um, but, the, I mean, the goals to, goals per game ratio was incredible. 23 and 44, 23 and 40, 12 and 30. That's the year his hamstring exploded. 24 and 40. 28 and 43, 28 and 54, 19 and 38. Then he went to Real Madrid and he still scored 16 and 45, while largely been a sub. But he wasn't the same player when he left Liverpool because Liverpool had overplayed him. He'd had that horrendous injury where his hamstring tendon just basically erupted one time on him. And he lost some of his pace and his pace was what made him incredible. He was still a really good finisher and he could rely on that. But when he came back, from Real and joined Newcastle. He was only 26. Newcastle paid big enough money to buy him. Um, 17 million. Club record fee, breaking the, the fee they paid about, about nine years earlier for Alan Shearer. Um, but just would, would always get hurt. Played 11 games, three games. Just always injured. Even in his good seasons, only getting 29, 28 games a season. Uh, and wasn't the same player. Had lost all his confidence. Had lost his ability to run, run in behind. He's spoken about it himself. But Michael Owen, I mean, Michael Owen was 26 when he came back. And he basically lost the next two years of his career. He's also one of the great English what-ifs. Because if you consider his international career was over at 29. He made his last appearance. He'd 40 goals at 
In truth, his international career ended the year before, 2017, uh, 2007. He was 28. He had 40 goals and 88 caps. 40 goals and 88 caps. Wayne Rooney scored 53. It took him 120 appearances. And he took penalties. Owen would have blitzed past that. Owen was on... If Owen had gotten to 120 caps, he would have scored 60 goals for England. If he hadn't gotten hurt. At least 60. Owen was just on a different level. As a goal scorer, he's one of the best I've ever seen in England. The last pick then is Stan Collymore. Um, I think over the course of the Premier League, he's the biggest waste of talent we've seen. At Nottingham Forest for two years, he was just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. His first his first season in the Premier League, he played with them in the championship, joined them in the championship uh, from Southend for 2.25 million, which was huge money for somebody to pay in the championship, but obviously they were looking to come back up. Um, he was just incredible that season. Him and Brian Roy up front, tormented defences all over the country. But he would score goals, and you'd have to watch it five times to figure out what he'd done. Like, he'd pick the ball up, he'd just beat three or four players, and he'd still be smashing it in from 20 yards. He'd bend in long-range shots with either foot from 25, 30 yards, like it was nothing. Liverpool paid a British or an English transfer record to get him, eight and a half million. And it started well. It started really well. Um, he scored that incredible goal in his debut against Sheffield Wednesday. And he scored a few like that. In his first season, he was, you know, he was good. He scored goals. But then it all started to go downhill. Now, it must be said, it's not all Stan's fault. He had mental health issues that he's talked about himself. It was very, very unfortunate, but you know, it massively affected his his time at the club. He would go on to Villa, it would affect him there, and you know, his career very much petered out. He left Liverpool at 26. And his career just sort of drifted away. He was retired by 30. He only made three England appearances. He had so much talent. The player we saw at Forest and in that first year at Liverpool was just disgustingly good. Like, ridiculously good. So Stan Collymore has to be in my team. Absolutely has to be. It's amazing to me that he's 50 now. Makes me feel very, very old. But yeah, that would be my team. Um, Czech, Babel, King, Woodgate, Agar, Diaby, Cleberson, Ravel Morrison, Sturridge, Owen, and Cole. Um, we're going to take a quick break here. And when I come back, I'm going to do some quick news and we'll wrap up with the gossip. Right, welcome back. We have some news to wrap through. Um, scary moment for Robin Olsen as his family were victims of a machete break-in. Um, some masked scumbags broke into his house near Altrincham over the weekend and threatened him and his family with a machete while robbing jewellery and his watch. Um, not ideal, and you wouldn't imagine it will uh, endear the UK to him. Uh, we've seen this before. We've seen footballers targeted before, and indeed Carlo Ancelotti was targeted last month when two men broke into his house and stole the safe. You know, you might as well steal everything if you're going to steal something. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think that's the type of thing that is just the worst you can do breaking into someone's house. It's just, I, th I think you'd have to move house personally. If someone broke into your house, if someone invaded your own personal space, um, I think you'd have to move house. Now, lucky for me, I have the world's greatest and most ferocious guard dog in Molly, um, who'd shout at them and shout at them and shout at them and then run away. 
But, you know, at least she'd shout at them and make us aware that somebody was coming. Um, but, yeah, if somebody broke into this house, we'd be moving the next day without question. Um, I just don't think you'd ever feel the same about your, your home again. Uh, Edison Cavani's father says he's not comfortable in England. Uh, I do wonder if this has something to do with the the ban he received. There's also been rumours that he's not too happy with Solskjaer and with his playing time, but I do think the ban he received and kind of the, the tag that that ban put on him has probably made him uh, feel a bit uncomfortable. His father says there's a 60% chance he will come back to South America. And, of course, yesterday we saw rumours that Boca Juniors um, would be interested. And I think his, his dad has also touted that. Um, Ryan Giggs is currently not working as manager of Wales. He is employed as the manager of Wales, but since his arrest on suspicion of assaulting his girlfriend, he has kind of stepped back and Robert Page is deputizing his manager. That's now going to extend for the next three games as well. While Giggs sits out, I, I think it might just be time to, you know, to say goodbye to Ryan Giggs as manager. Um, I don't know how he comes back from that. I think it's a very bad look if he comes back from that. Now, obviously, you know, he's got a court case that he'll have to go through, but does he really want that? Do the Welsh FA want that as they approach a, a major tournament? Um, bad news for those involved in the football index as it basically collapsed. And this was something, when I started this podcast, I thought, do you know what, I'm, I'm going to try and bring this into the podcast. And then the more research I did in it, the more bizarre I found it. And I couldn't really wrap my head around what the idea of it was or where the money behind it was coming from. And Jim White on TalkSport, of course, you know, probably had vested interest. He was one pushing it regularly. Um, it was a, a stock market for football players. You could buy shares in players. Again, I didn't really understand how that worked. Why were these players valuable? Where was the money coming from to pay you back? And it turned out it's basically just a big Ponzi scheme. Simple as that. It's basically just a big Ponzi scheme. So basically, you give me money. Guy gives me money and someone else gives me money and I give you guys money. I give guy the the other person's money and I tell that other person, right, you wait, your, your money is coming. And then when I get another sucker along, I give them their money to God, to that new person all the while I'm taking a little bit here and there and everywhere. Um, I've explained that really badly. I, I agree. Go and watch the Wizard of Lies. It's about Bernie Madoff, who ran the biggest Ponzi scheme in the history of the world and basically defrauded people out of millions and millions. I think it was like $75 billion or something um, that his Ponzi scheme ended up being worth, and people lost absolute fortunes. He ended up going to prison for like 100 years. Um, the fraud was $65.8 billion. Is what his Ponzi scheme was worth. So basically, he was telling people he was taking their money and investing it, and he wasn't. He was moving it around and and you know finding finding false profits for people. Um, he got 150 years in prison, and he had to forfeit 17 billion dollars of his own assets. Uh, watch the Wizard of Lies. It is actually. Really, really good. Robert De Niro plays him. There's a bunch of different things uh, that have been done about him. But if you haven't read up on him or you, you don't know the story, uh, just go and read up. It's it's fascinating stuff. And like I say, w watch that film, The Wizard of Lies. It was a HBO film with Robert De Niro. It's really, really good. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like Football Index is basically the same thing. People have lost thousands and thousands of pounds. Some people have basically gone all in with it, investing their life savings. Um, it was seen as, I think, a type of gambling, which is how they got around any 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 rules with it. But yeah. Um, so here's an example. A share of Bruno Fernandes was worth 
seven pounds twenty three pence on Saturday morning, and now it's around one pound. So if you had, if you put a thousand euro into them back at the start, now that thousand euro was worth a lot more money. Now it's worth much less money. It's just madness, absolute madness. So the, they announced themselves. So Football Index's own website said that cash dividend payments would be slashed in order to ensure long-term sustainability of the platform. That is mad. There are people who've lost thousands. I've seen them all over social media. On the 5th of March, the Football Index market, meaning the value of all the players involved, was 87.8 million. By the 7th, it was down to 25 million. And that's still dropping. Absolutely crazy. Last year, people were saying it was going to just grow and grow and grow and grow. And now... It's an unmitigated disaster. It's fallen apart. Uh, there's a really good article to read on The Athletic. Joey Durso is the guy who wrote it. Uh, check that out if you have access to The Athletic. If not, you'll find you'll find more on it in other places as well. But, yeah, people have lost a lot of money through this, what seems like a scam. Um, good news for Liverpool fans, as Jurgen Klopp has ruled himself out of the Germany job saying that he has a contract at Liverpool for another three years, so therefore he will be staying. Uh, obviously, this is good news. This was expected news. Uh, you'd imagine Stefan Kunz is probably the favourite to get it as the under-21 manager, but Ralf Ranjek is probably the biggest name German manager who's available. I don't think he's a good fit for it. I think he's much better suited to being a club manager, but you never know. They might just decide to go in that kind of direction. Um also interesting to hear Stephen Gerrard when asked um, about Liverpool fans' thoughts on him winning the, the league and potentially becoming Liverpool manager say that Liverpool fans don't want him, they want Klopp, and, and Gerrard is right. I don't want... I'll be honest, I don't ever want Gerrard to manage Liverpool because I saw what happened when Graham Sunes managed Liverpool. I'm seeing what's happening with Pirlo managing, uh, managing Juventus. We've seen this too often when great players go back to manage their former clubs and it goes disastrously wrong. I don't want that to be Gerrard. Like, there's already a generation of, of Liverpool fans who don't remember the Gerrard from, say, like, 02, 03 to even earlier. Even from, say, when he came into the team in 1990,000 up to... 0910. People don't remember that Gerard. They remember the later Gerard, who had injury problems, who'd lost his dynamic burst. I don't want Stephen Gerard to be remembered like as that player and as a bad manager. And again, winning one Scottish title against no competition doesn't really impress me all that much. Anyway, he'd need to go and do it somewhere else. And I mean, at a big club, him going and finishing 14th with Crystal Palace isn't going to get him the Liverpool job. It'll just stagnate his career. So for me, he'd need to go somewhere else and win some silverware. Somewhere in the top five league and win some silverware before he could even be considered. And again, I don't ever want him because if it, if it goes wrong, it'll be horrible. Uh, West Ham have blamed COVID-19 pandemic for 65 million in losses that they made for the year up to May 2020. Now that seems a little bit much. Considering the pandemic only really kicked off in March, you're really going to claim you lost 62.5 million a month? Their turnover fell by 51 million. Now, that to me just isn't, doesn't add up. It doesn't add up to me that they would lose that much money in the two months of the, of the pandemic up until those accounts. Now, if it was next year's accounts, absolutely. I think next year we're going to see clubs posting some bananas, um, some absolutely bananas losses. But 
not for me. I, I, I don't think West Ham have anyone to blame other than their bad ownership. Um, five Rangers players have been charged by the Scottish FA for breaking COVID-19 rules in February, and they may face suspensions. Take the title off them. I think that's the only fair way. Uh, yeah, Neymar's out of the game tonight, as we said. And David Moyes has said he believes Declan Rice is worth in excess of $100 million. Uh, David Moyes is living in cloud cuckoo land. He's a defensive midfielder. He's not worth $100 million. Um, We'll finish up with the gossip then. Manchester United will listen to offers for 30-year-old goalkeeper De- David De Gea this summer with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer ready to make Dean Henderson his number one. Um, I, I don't know what offers will be out there. PSG, maybe. Juventus, maybe. Maybe a De Gea for Ronaldo swap is what works best for all parties. But um, Sky Sports are also reporting that United are keeping tabs on Jan Oblak. He's not leaving Atletico Madrid. Not this summer, anyway. Uh, Manchester City have made Belgian midfielder Kevin De Bruyne a new contract offer after he rejected their first deal and hope an agreement can be reached by the end of the season. United States forward Christian Pulisic has struggled for game time at Chelsea under manager Thomas Tuchel, and that has alerted Bayern Munich, Liverpool and Real Madrid. He's had some injuries. I wouldn't be rushing to write off Pulisic under Tuchel. Tuchel loved him at Dortmund, played him a ton as a kid. I think you'll give him a fair chance. Um, Arsenal are reportedly ready to capitalise on the turmoil at Inter Milan by tabling a bid for Ashraf Hakimi. So the turmoil is that their ownership is the same ownership who just shut down the club in China. Um, Sun Ying, I think, I, I can't remember. Jiangsu is the name of the city where the team was. Like, I think it's Jiangsu Sunning. They're in financial bother. They own Inter. Apparently, they've said that this is not going to affect um, Inter. But, yeah, Hakimi may well become available. Uh, Arsenal are not going to get him, though. They're not going to have the money available to get him because they're going to want $60 million for him because they paid for 40 because he's 22 and he's sensational. Uh, Manchester United and Manchester City are keen on Villarreal Spanish defender Pau Torres. I would have doubts that City are keen. He's a left-footed centre-back. They already have Laporte, who's better than him, and Nathan Aki, along with John Stones and Ruben Diaz. I would have doubts that City are keen. United are known to be keen. A couple of clubs are known to be keen. Um, He'd be an odd one in the Premier League. He's not great in the air. He's a little bit, not soft, but a little bit light. And, I mean, Harry Maguire plays left side, so unless they're going to move Maguire to right side, but that would be a pretty slow centre-back pairing. I wouldn't be all that keen on it, but it's the way of United saying, oh, we beat City to this player, who City didn't really want anyway. Um, Crystal Palace are plotting moves for Man- for Sheffield United midfielder John Lundstrom and Chelsea midfielder Conor Gallagher as they prepare a major squad overhaul this summer. Um, Gallagher would make a lot of sense, and if they could get him, that would be a great signing. They came close to signing him last summer, and then they signed Michi Batshuayi instead, and Gallagher ended up at West uh, West Brom. Lundstrom's a good player. If you bring him in as a squad player, it's, yeah, it's absolutely fine. Schalke's Spanish midfielder, Omar Mascaral, has emerged as a summer transfer target for Wolves. Um, there'll be a fire sale at Schalke this summer when they go down because they're millions and hundreds of millions in debt. So, you know, you might as well uh, throw in an offer on anybody you fancy. Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola hopes he can convince Argentina striker Sergio Aguero to stay with the club beyond the season. Look, he'll have offers, but City can offer him probably more than anybody. So... Yeah, it would make sense for them to try and keep him. I think if Messi goes to PSG, Aguero goes with him. That's my initial thought on that. Real Madrid are showing interest in Manchester City and Algeria winger Riyad Mahrez. No, they're not. Celtic and Scotland centre-back Jack Hendry, a reported target for Aston Villa, would cost around £10 this summer. 
Um, that seems high. That seems very, very high. For a guy who can't get a game at Celtic and has been on loan for the last season and a half, that seems really, really high. Now, he's talented, but he has not done well at Celtic at all. Um, I wouldn't pay £10 million for him in a fit. Barcelona have reached a verbal agreement with Bayern Munich for Austrian defender David Alaba. This is trash. They don't need to reach any sort of agreement with Bayern Munich. He's a free agent. You reach the agreement with him and his agent. Celtic have sounded out West Ham manager David Moyes about taking over a parkhead. Um, look, Celtic's a huge, huge job. I don't see him leaving West Ham given what he's done this season, how he's turned things around. But I wouldn't blame him if he did because they were very quick to move on from him. So if he felt like it, yeah, I, I wouldn't blame him at all. And look, he he had one shot at a big club. It went really badly. Maybe he fancies another crack at it. Um, and there'll be a lot less pressure at, at, at Celtic than there would at United. Not that Celtic doesn't come with a ton of pressure, but United is is different. Manchester United is different. Inter Milan have contacted the agent of Real Betis' Algeria defender, Asai Mendy, uh, a reported Liverpool target in January. Number one, he wasn't a Liverpool target at all. Number two, he can't defend. He is hopeless defensively. Imagine if Ben White never improves defensively and gets a little bit worse on the ball. Then you'll have Asai Mendy. Uh, that's, that's who he is. I don't believe for a second that Inter Milan would sign him. They've already got much better centre-backs. He doesn't really fit how they play either. So, no, I think that's I think that's probably nonsense. Um, and that's it. That is our show for today. Thank you all very much for listening. Um, thanks for your continued support. Thank you to Guy, as always. And thank you to Foxhound for the title music. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow is Twitter day, so uh, send your questions in. I'll be asking for them in the morning, or, well, you know, I'll have Bernie Sanders asking for them in the morning, but, you know, he'll be there. So send in any questions. We'll get that done tomorrow. So enjoy the football tonight. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.